This message is brought to you by IOM America and the International Fellowship of Exchange Life. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I am your ministry host. We hope that the Lord blesses you today as you listen to our podcast. We want to welcome our online listeners. This is number 17 and it is called Obedience for the Physical Area of Life. And again, we with a particular welcome of our new church plant in Liberia. We are excited. Lester, thank you for sending me the pictures today of your new building. So we will keep praying for you here. Let's jump into our message, Vessels of God. It is therefore an incredible vessel of the living God belonging to the one who designed it for its eternal purpose. Purchasing your body and then came to live in it in order to provide a way of escape from sinful acts of the flesh. But at the same time, it is under franchise to the human tenant for its functioning in the world without being of it. That poses a conflict for the believer, but certainly not a problem for the creator. Now let's really stop here before we jump into this with both feet that this poses a problem for us but not the Creator. That's why it was important for me to take that 10 minutes and share with you before we even started the message of the fact that our sins have nothing to do with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the greatest way to throw the church off is to think that their choices of sin can actually affect the God of the universe. And that almost makes me laugh. To think that a little sin and some little ant on the earth can affect the behavior of God and affect the decisions of the great almighty. It does not. He is who he is and Jesus Christ is who he is and the Holy Spirit is, is the living spirit of God. Then we are gifted with this wonderful privilege of having the Holy Spirit put inside a human body that is frail and weak and is a little, literally, a franchise human tenant for the functioning of the flesh. That's why the old man had to be crucified. So it would not share the mastery of that tent. But it doesn't mean that the tent is perfect. It just means the old master got booted out. Because God doesn't share mastery with anyone. So that's foundational. And we need to embrace that foundation before we start moving into really talking about the seriousness of obedience because you do not want to go in to that 13th century uh, 1300s where they introduced the false doctrine of backsliding because of your obedience problem. You don't have the power to be obedient. 
I don't have the power to be obedient. So forget about it. But Christ has the power to be obedient through you. And that's something we should never forget about. Limitations. The Creator built in our mortal beings certain limitations. These limitations vary from temple to temple and also change with passing of this life to the next. So what do we mean by that? It's different from temple to temple and it changes daily. Jane, are you getting older? Are you gaining memory space or losing it? Are we getting younger looking every day? Someone please tell me the science behind getting wrinkles. You all have them, including children. You lose your fat layers behind your skin, so therefore... Okay, what's that stuff that's supposed to be in your skin that gives it a elasticity? Collagen. Collagen in your body is being reduced as you're sitting here right now. And there are certain things that we try to do to maintain or improve these temples from dying daily. If you guys aren't making the connection to our, our earlier talk today, then now would probably be a real good time to do that. But you see, if Christ Jesus in you is affected by all these external things, I'm just here to tell you today that the older you get, the less ability you're even going to have to choose to be obedient. There are certain things you can be obedient to with your body, like exercising, like, you know, Maybe you have enough money to buy health food or maybe you have enough money to, you know, whatever. Because you have the option to make these choices because you have the ability to. But when you get to the point where your children are changing your diapers, you have very few choices left but what's in you. You can fight this message today. You can send those emails. You can resist this message today. But I'm here to tell you, someday you will be forced to embrace it. When we are strong and we have this, this ability to make these decisions, to get up and get on your bicycle and ride around or to go to the gym 
or to drink these power drinks or to do, take all these extra proteins. And when you have the money and when you have the ability to do those things, you preach those things as it is as if some type or aspect of Christianity. It just simply is a lie. Does that mean that we should not get up and have a little protein? Of course we should. Does that mean we should not have, you know, fruit drinks and on and on and on? If you have the resources to enjoy those things and they're good for your human body, have at it. I'm just trying to share with you a basic principle of alpha and omega. When you're on the alpha side, there's tons of youthful energy. But when you get toward the omega side, there's only one thing that really makes sense anymore. Who are you? And what were you here for? You start to question that after 50. Do you not? Some go out and buy sports cars because they realize, you know, man, I got 20, 30 years left, so I need to get me some toys. Well, that's a good conclusion. No, after 50, you need to begin to start truly embracing while you were here. Apply your obedience to that. You'll change other people's lives. So always worried about changing your own life. How selfish have we made the church? It's all about changing us. Changing our daily lifestyle. Changing, changing us. What for? So you can be more selfish? And live your life for more? In a healthy way? Wow, we got things twisted up. Bad. Do you remember the verse, and I think I even have it coming up in a slide here. Do you remember the verse when Paul made this statement? I mean, he really, from what I read, threw out the big buzz in the church at the time when he said, I enslave my body that Christ may gain. Starves, shipwrecks, whole half a chapter stating what he really meant by that. We are the opposite in the Western church. We trim our fingernails, we polish them up, we, we put stuff on our skin so it doesn't show our age. We start to get on diets so that we're not called fat when most countries it's considered prosperity. We do all these things in order to use up the energy in our obedience in an area that has nothing to do with the commission that we were asked to do. Enslave our bodies. It's crazy. I'm afraid it's true. We see these limitations vary in, uh, in speed of obedience, mental choosing, beauty, articulation, wit, being complete or incomplete of the physical body, memory, voice ability, 
and directional sense, quality of vision of hearing, internal well-being, muscle strength balance, condition of physical abilities, the nervous system, and a host of other attributes. So what does God do in his most wonderful, splendorous ways? He grabs a few that are in this list and he pulls them out and he tosses them to the wind. You have nervous disorders. You no longer can walk. You no longer can speak, Andrew Murray. And he just pulls a few of those out of our little perfect structure that we put together. Here's the best of the best. Alzheimer. I have seen, I have read some of the most highest quality humans that have ever walked the face of the earth lose everything in a year. Mental ability, tossed and gone. They used to be the most powerful person in the world, i.e. one of our presidents, and now they are having someone else change their diapers because they don't have enough memory to go to the bathroom anymore. I had Mr. Ronald Reagan set up for an interview on a radio show that I had in Phoenix and I got a call from his agent and she said that he would not be coming for the interview and I was probing and asking questions because it was a big deal for me and um, and I got to hear before it hit the press what it was that our president was suffering with he probably would not even be able to get through the interview that was a a wake-up call for me because he he was a lot of this he was speedy in obedience. And I, and I wanted to talk to him about his born-again conversion he had after he got shot. And the, there was so much lined up in this man's life as you could almost look at his life and say, now that's the perfect life. It was all gone. I'm sure it was slowly affecting him over a period of years. So the choice on God's part happened many years before he left the presidency. But it was shortly after the presidency that it started to speed up as fast as it he was in life. So as you know, people with Alzheimer's, they can't do anything in the end. They breathe. But you know what? If you've done any research on Alzheimer's, that's what kills you. The whole clock system on the inside just doesn't remember anymore to function. And it shuts you down. Does that mean his born-again experience was not real? I'd like to have someone say, hear someone say that. Does that mean who he was in Christ was not lined up correctly? And God was spanking him for some kind of sin in his life? Well, you go ahead and buy into that old Baptist theology, but I'll tell you what, it won't get you anywhere. Your sins have nothing to do with God and his decisions for you. 
Does he allow the consequences of our sins to affect us and others? Of course he does. If you don't listen to the teacher, you're going to listen to your consequences. Colossians 3.25 Yes, God does not ignore the consequences of our decisions. But don't buy into this theology that just because you're not pretty anymore whatever that means, or you're not healthy, or you can't go to the gym. I couldn't go to the gym if someone paid membership for me to go to the gym. But what I am supposed to be doing is a lot of walking. See, all it takes is just one peg out, and you completely affect someone's judgment of you. Because if we view life through judgment, we're going to have to view life externally to get to the internal person. Therefore, what I choose to do affects who I am. I hate Satan. He is crafty. He's mastered this art of saying everything exactly true. And then he twists it at the end. It's a technique used in warfare. I should have brought my sword because it clearly communicates how this works. But there, on every sword, at least effective swords, there's this curve carved out from the handle halfway down the blade. When you guys want to tell me what that's for? Just let the blood out. It's the flow. Pre-carved for the blood to get out of the body. But there's one thing a good warrior has to do once the blade is in, is turn it and let the blood out. That is exactly what Satan does. It's not the piercing of the sword that gets you, because that's truth. Sword, you take the S off, and what do you have? The word. He uses the word straight on because he knows it will pierce the heart. It's the twist once it's in you. Twist is the term interpreted. In, you interpret this. Ugh. And all the lifeblood just comes out of you and you have a bad day. Bad for you, sorry to say. That's bad doctrine. You're having just as good a day on the moment you're sinning as you're having on the day when you haven't chosen to sin all day long. There's no difference to God. This is as deep as we possibly can get with the message of identity. But on that day you are choosing to sin, you are affecting your body, you're affecting your, your relationships, you're affecting your environment, you're affecting anything and everything that is of this world. So what does God do to a sinning body? Personally, I believe he looks at me and says, you're producing the suffering for you has nothing to do with us. But you're going to have to suffer. It is the ultimate expression of Godship 
Someone please tell me what the term God chip means for our online listeners. You playing God. You playing God. The ultimate expression of Godship. Absolute ultimate expression of Godship. Thinking you can affect God's behavior. Who do we think we are? God is not going to adjust his eternal plan for one of Stephanie's sins. How selfish can we get? So all you theologians out there that believe that your decisions can change the almighty hand of God need to rethink that before you step over the line into eternity. And those of you who are in eternal life and you're still teaching and preaching this subjective concept it's barely classified as theology that your sins can affect the will of God. You need to revisit this. Your sins affect your will. Your life, your family's life, your friend's life, this world, that's what your sins affect. Your sins are not going to adjust the God of the universe and beyond. Because if we really take the view of God, it's outside this box that we call the universe. It's just forever. And think to some little ant is going to have an effect on that? Who do we think we are? We think we're God. That's who we think we are. That's the twist. That's the sword going in and Satan going, come on, you can be like God and interpret. And we bleed out. Have a bad day. I pray that after today's message that every listener takes their worst day, their absolute worst day, and glorifies the Father and says, Father, this was the best day I have ever had in my life as to date. Because God shows up in manifestation form when you're suffering. Because his own son said something about some marriage relationship between suffering and obedience. And what was that again? You learn obedience through the things that you suffer. It's all you prosperity doctrine people that have just been thinking of money and wallets and limos and houses and those kinds of things, you might want to step back and look at the full view of prosperity doctrine. Because I'll bet you a dime to a dollar you spend money on health products. I'll bet you a dime to a dollar you spend money on the types of foods and proteins and supplements that are constantly trying to get your body to prosper. Maybe there's some of you out there who don't believe in prosperity doctrine with money, but you are 
attached to prosperity doctrine of your body. You're just as guilty if you want to play the guilt trip. Then there's another category. The, there's, there's Christians out there who say, well, I can't even say that I have a problem with the human body advancement. Well, I have a challenge for us who are in the final category, which is where I would suffer. And that is prosperity spiritually. Those of us who suffer with the, the doctrine of demons of prospering spiritually, we got to constantly feed ourselves. We have to have devotions. We have to have the right books. We have to have the right, just constant inflow instead of the ultimate indwelling Christian believing all of that happens from inside out. Then when you have devotions, please listen carefully because I'm not denying externally feeding yourself. Spiritually, psychologically, and physically. When you eat then, you are nurturing and caring for a different mission. So spiritually, everything you do, everything you say, everything you read, everything you eat, everything you smell, everything you taste, everything should be based on the simple principle of Christ in you doing it through you so that when you eat, you have energy to do it. When God says, no, I'm not even going to let you live it out anymore, you're going to be sitting in bed in diapers, unable to literally take this mission to the streets like you were yesterday. If you associate external changes with punishment, then you're not getting this. Last I heard, Jesus took the punishment for us. Why? So we can live victoriously in and through Christ. And if we have riches, we have riches. If we have poverty, we have poverty. What was that that Paul said? For I have learned to abase and abound. I have learned to live in the basement and eat potatoes that I've gotten stored up or not. And I have learned to live breathe and function as a wealthy man. Now that's as a Christian. Well, that's the balance of the statement that was given to us is that no evil comes from God. But then you look at some of these things that are happening to believers in the world and they do appear to be quite evil, actually. I mean, that's happening to them. So then you have to ask the question in regard to the sovereignty of God, does evil come from God? No, evil comes from Satan. And there are more people led by Satan than there are by Christ in you. So even the majority of the Christians who call themselves self-proclaimed Christians who do not have the indwelling life of Christ, they're still Satanist. 
Now that's as blunt as I can say it. If you're not of God, you're of Satan. There's no in-between. There's no you're walking the line business. You're either following Satan and you're being obedient to him or you're following Christ and you're being obedient to him. There is no, there is no third element. There's no nicer third God. That's what I'm addressing today because obedience is a non-issue. You are obedient every day, 24 hours a day, until you die. In fact, forever. You're always obedient. The question is, to who? So the emergent people who think that they're born again, when they can't even explain what born again is, they don't know what the life of Christ is in and through them, think they're going to heaven, think they're locked and loaded forever, and then when they stand before God, they're going to hear those horrific words that we have preached on often here, and that is, there shall be many who stand before me and who have preached in my name, casted out demons in my name, and have done miracles in my name, and I will say to you, be gone, for I know you not. Have a little compassion. Can you imagine that 90% of the entire world, generation after generation, who have said, I am a Christian, is going to be in that group? Shocked. What? But I followed you. I followed your words. I memorized them. I went to Bible school. I have three doctorates in the Bible. And what? I'm sorry. I don't know you. Be gone. Education doesn't equal transformation. If you don't have the life of Christ in you, you're going to hell. Folks, I can't put it any clearer. Christ in you is having the mind of Christ in you. He wants to do it through you, so obedience must be a choice of him in you to do his good pleasure. It is not your choices. Your choice, your will was given to you to release the spirit to be obedient through you. Because Christ is the only one I know of can fulfill the law. I know. Believe me. 40 years of ministry, I know that less than 2% got what I just said. And the rest of you, you're going to get up and continue to perform. You're going to drink your energy drinks. You're going to go to the gym. You're going to do everything you can, put everything on your face, do whatever it is you got to do to constantly stop the daily dying that is in you, around you, and is given to you to remind you you're dying. And if you want life and life eternally, this is how you get it. Life within. I'm going to give you, hopefully our graphics will be back here real soon, I'm going to give you the Hebrew definition 
It's rather complicated, actually. But the Hebrew definition of vessel. But when you think of the word vessel, what's the simplicity of it? Vessel seems to be a pretty easy word, particularly in the Western culture. We think of ships or we think of, you know, clay pots or whatever. But it is a little bit more meaty with God, particularly from the Hebrew. So vessel here, we have kaf, lemon, yud, he, chuf, yud again, bet, vav, and again lemon. So kaf is to cover, to open, to allow. Lemon is basically control and oftentimes associated with the tongue. Yud is to work. It's that working motion in Hebrew. He is that guy who's glorifying God or revealing as a spokesman. And then Kuf, which is behind or in the back, which is used often as whoever's in last place is in first place, whoever's in first place is in last place. Bet, of course, is the house. Vav is to secure. That's the nail that pierced Jesus. And, of course, living is the same thing as we mentioned before, and that is control. When you put all of that together, you have to allow the authority to make the reveal of the last deed in the house in order to secure that authority. It is a mouthful for Hebrew. Most Hebrew is very short sentences. The definitions are very quick. But here we have something being revealed to us that is rather significant even on the Hebrew side because it happens to be the word that is used in the New Testament in regard to us becoming vessels. You and I as indwelt believers of Christ become vessels to allow the authority who is God, the author and perfecter of our faith, to make his reveal of the last deed in our house, in our vessel, in our dwelling. The last deed to literally secure who is the author and perfecter of our faith. So what are we here for? You're staring at it. If you use your house, your tent, God's vessel, for any other reason, that is what sin is. You fall short. You fall short of your design. You fall short of why you're here. You fall short of that, so that's why that's the definition of sin. You're falling short of why you're here. Vessel. Well, he understood that, so that's why he had to buy you back. Since we are enslaved to Satan, anyone who understands anything about slavery knows that someone's got to pay the price. And Christ paid the price. The price was so high, it literally required the son of the living God. Satan had to be thinking, well, I'll finally have him out of the way. So you think Satan has knowledge of the future? 
Anyone who's believing that here today, you're being deceived. There is no evidence anywhere in the scripture that, that says that Satan has the power to see into the future. Satan had no idea that Christ was going to resurrect. You say, but he read it. So I know a lot of people read the scripture and they're as dumb as a nail. They don't get it because the Holy Spirit's not in them revealing the reason of it. Satan cannot understand truth unless he is given the life of truth. You can look into the future. DK and I are now having constant conversations about looking into the future just a little bit and understanding things and then they end up happening. Well, that's nothing weird. Christians have the ability to look into the future a little bit because of the Holy Spirit. Can look into the future because the Holy Spirit is the future. <coughs> Satan is doomed in the future. God wants him to enjoy his demise today and tomorrow and the next day. The greatest agony of the eternal universe is not being able to look into the future. You're bound by today. You know that movie they made, the guy that get up every morning, he was in the same day? There it is. It's a trap. You can't get out of it. And that's where Satan lives. He can't get out of today. Accepting our limitations has several applications. First, it means that each believer is responsible to accept him or herself as a distinct and different from every other believer, strong in some physical areas, weaker in others. It is incumbent upon each indwell believer to acknowledge to themselves and to others without pride that such strengths exist, of course, weaknesses, without self-depreciation and deception that such weaknesses exist. It is only in this truth that cooperation and harmony within the body of Christ can facilitate and live working together to glorify God. And Paul gave us an illustration of that and that was the illustration of the human body. Have you ever seen your nose lift up a 25-pound box? No, but the greatest sin of the Christians is to get everyone functioning the same, right? It's easy to come up to someone who's suffering a weakness and say, you just need to do this, that, or the other. Seem so be strong like me. That's what we do. And we do it very well. Got to get you to look like me. Got to get you to be as strong as me. Uh, that's pretty good confession that you are not in touch with your weaknesses. So they have to be put in your face. Because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, for this reason, to keep me, Paul, from exalting myself, there was given to me a messenger of Satan. Folks, that's called a demon. There was given to me. Who gave it to him? Two-thirds of the body of Christ says, Satan... 
one third of the body of Christ says the right answer God the Father assigns a messenger of Satan look in the Greek yourself demon to buffet me Paul to keep me Paul from exalting myself let's put it in the terms that we oftentimes use in the exchange life to keep me Steve from using my self life so there's no evil that comes from God I don't care if you're in a wheelchair I don't care if you hang from the closet banister every day trying to stretch out your spine I don't know what your condition is but I am telling you this there's no evil that comes from God God does the assignments of what appears to be God assigning or, or doing the evil he uses Satan like he's some kind of tool right out of your toolbox in your garage why and in this case it's to keep Paul from bragging about Paul of course we know from this passage immediately it goes into after he entreated the Lord three times that it might part from him three times some of us in this room if not all of us would pray about something three times an hour let alone a lifetime Paul's faith was so great he didn't need to pray about something more than once but this occasion it was bothersome enough three times in a whole lifetime that's why I've said many times God whatever this man has in faith that's what I want in my prayer life I want to pray at once and believe and on the days it doesn't appear that you're lining up with my will give me the proper perspective because that's what it is in my confession is if something I prayed about last week and this week seems to be off kilter about what I prayed I have the tendency to be very blunt with God and say you're not lining up with my holy will so my will be done on earth maybe heaven someday but right now on earth God sounds like mockery doesn't it well it is but you know at the same time God understands us weak humans so if we want to pray three times about something in a given hour he's okay with it but I'd rather have the child coming forward asking grandpa for one thing once and be patiently waiting until I'm ready to give it to him versus the grandchild coming and asking over and 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 over I can't even tell you what it does to the mind of the parent. Does it mean you love the child less? Are you kidding? It's just that you understand this child is different than this child. But in the end, who shall be known amongst the spiritual world? For the demon said, for I know Paul and I know Jesus Christ, but who are you? You see, authority is how you're known. And I want to be known in the spiritual world because of my faith. 
because if I ask, it's going to get done. Because not of me, but because of Christ in me. So I will go to my grave preaching this message. All limitations are given in order to bring glory to the living God, just like Janie was just telling us. So that's what John 9, 1 through 3 is telling us about. And that is, as he passed by and, you know, one of the disciples noticed this blind man or deaf man or, you know, whatever the handicap was, they even back then, poor guy hadn't even gone to the cross yet. The enemy was already thrown in prosperity doctrine. And he'd gone to the cross yet, and here one of the disciples going, well, who sin? Who sin, Lord Jesus? Whose sin made this man this way? Is it the sin of his mommy and daddy? I know the parents, they were not very good to him. Or is it this man's sin that he can't speak? Or he drags his leg? And what does Jesus say? It's a famous passage. It's nor the sin of his parents, nor the sin of this man, but that the glory of God may be seen. Is God into glory, folks? then he's into a lot of handicaps. He's into a lot of weaknesses. He's into a lot of pulling out those nervous disorder things and those mental abilities. And those, he's into weaknesses so that he can clearly promote his power and glory. And what we do is go from the bottom up and fix it and God goes from the top down and unfixes it. Why? So when you leave this world, you are of the Omega. Nothing here matters to me. Everything here matters to me. You come into this world dependent on man and independent of God. You're to leave this world dependent on God and independent of man. And you are staring at the process that God uses to get that job done. And anything you got up your sleeve that helps you become dependent on man, you can get ready today and say goodbye to it. Because God's after it. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but through our outer man, even though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. That is not a long walk between outer man and inner man. You're staring at one of the most powerful verses explaining the exchange life. The outer man's decaying from drop foot to wheelchairs to nervous disorders to literally losing your mind. While the inner man, which is the man of Christ, the life of Christ, in you is being renewed every day because of those weaknesses. Paul said, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses that the glory of God may be known. He got it. 
It is imperative that we regard our physical being as its and its capabilities that to be matched for our personal satisfaction, not to be compared to others. Sin of comparison is what throws us into prosperity doctrine. Do you understand that? The sin of comparison is what throws the Christian into prosperity doctrine. I can do better than this job. I can do better in this whatever. It is competition that Satan needs to create prosperity doctrine. Personal sanctification. What was given to us in our birth and in circumstances is typically beyond our control. That's kind of a duh and probably for a good reason. And we are called to be thankful in all things, especially in our design. So if you put a baby in your arm that's a heroin baby, you'll get the picture real quick. Could I look at that baby and say that's a heroin baby because of the sins of that child? Well, that's an easy duh. But what about is that baby heroin addicted because of the sins of the parents? Afraid not, still God's decision. That baby could have been born perfectly fine, but it is a decision that God chooses and the allowance of our sins affect the human body. And that's why one person gets it and the other person doesn't. Well, the rain falls on the just, not just the unjust. And the, you see, it is an exposure to a great eternal God that has his reasons for things we do not understand. We need to give him thanks and permission to speak, to do with our frail human bodies as he desires and to function within those limitations to glorify himself through our cells, through our vessel. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 For consider your calling. I'm just going to stop right there. I mean, if we go on and preach endless sermons about the rest of this passage, seriously, what's the point? You're called for something. Then we can talk about all their details. You're called. You're here for a reason. The design, whether you're weak, whether you're that blind man, or you're, you're, you can't speak again, or you can't walk, or you can't... Why are you here? For consider your calling, brethren. Then we could talk about the details. Please. I know that most of the people that listen to this podcast don't even talk about retirement. Or they don't talk about their investments. They're not on their knees begging God to make sure that that investment company doesn't go bad so you lose your entire fortune. That's how we think over here. That's how we pray. God, secure my investment. Why? Why should I do that? So you're happy, you're prosperous, and you'll be well cared for until you die. Now the body of Christ has no purpose anymore. That's fine. That's fine. I'll take Christ, could you make sure that prayer gets answered? 
secure the American stock companies to make sure that. I mean, just walk it through. We are really deceived people. When Christ was saying, I want to turn everything I own, everything I have left as a slave to me. I want to enslave it so that I can reduce so that he can increase. I have to be reminded of that every day of my life when I don't have that money to do the things that I consider pretty normal. But see, it doesn't mean that God's not going to give that type of giving to you as a believer. I know lots of business people that he prospers a lot because of the way they give it. So God's not, not into prosperity. God's not, not into poverty. He just wants us to learn to obey and abound. Oh, today's a rich day. Hallelujah. Oh, today's a poor day. Hallelujah. So the Holy Spirit can say, uh, Stephen, could you say that again? Today's a rich day. Hallelujah. Oh, today's a poor day. Thank you, Lord, oh God, for thy days of poverty. No, he wants, Lord, thank you today. It's a day of poverty. So therefore, I'm going to look a little closer for apples on the ground. And I'm going to look a little closer for bread left at the door. I'm going to look a little closer for your supernatural provision in these ways. So when you can't buy the bread, and God made a promise not to have you do without the bread, then you need to keep your eyes open to where the bread is. See, it all works. This is not doctrines of perfection. It really does all work. We are to consider our upward calling in and through our weaknesses, accepting each weakness in order to allow his strength to manifest in us every single day. We need to stop being wise in our own eyes by attempting to improve our weaknesses. God enjoys using these frail humans to accomplish his work for it, is, for it puts the entire emphasis on his doing and not our doing. He literally has chosen the foolish and frail things of life to display his eternal glory and life. And he starts from life within. Here's our identity matters statement for today. Obedience requires, what's the word? Sacrifice. And sacrifice is doomed unless it is appropriated through the sacrifice of the lamb who has chosen to house his life, himself, in each indwelt believer. Anything and everything that is true about Jesus Christ is true about you. That's the basics of being an, an indwelt Christian. Father, I want to thank you for today. I thank you for the truth that sets us free. I pray in the power and authority of Jesus' name that the truth 
being revealed in us would be recorded on the tablets of our hearts. I pray that every listener walks away with the simple message of Christ in you doing the work or obedience through us. And God, those believers out there who are following Jesus Christ externally, I pray that you would enlighten them to show them that they do not have the life of Christ in them. And Father, all of those who truly have the life of Christ in them, those indwell believers, I pray, Father God, they will re-examine their calling. That they would consider their calling and go and get some training on what that looks like in its most practical way of allowing the life of Christ to minister to others through us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you for listening in on our podcast today. This message comes to you by way of a podcast feed from Heartland Family Fellowship, a family-integrated church, which is an outreach of IOM America, right here in Sterling, Kansas. For more information about our church or international ministry, log on to www.iomamerica.org. And if you would like to connect to our fellowship, log on to www.heartlandfellowships.org. It's our prayer that the mind of Christ in you draws you into a deeper walk with Him.